Merseyside shines in the League Cup, but with no Premier League action this weekend, this pod is going to have to think of something more to talk about. Transfer rumors? The great Arsenal debate? Can Guardiola save City? No, no, and hmm. You know, after months of blind managerial speculation, it's time for us to devote some real time to the underlying issues. What makes a good manager? You know, we have no idea, but as we run through our countdown of the Premier League's 18 permanent bosses, you'll find out why some of us give Manuel a pass, others want Louis to go, and nobody can decide if Tony, Sam, or Roberto are actually any good. Welcome everybody to this edition of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll get to our manager list after the break, but first, let's dive into this week's League Cup action. Everton and Liverpool taking one-goal leads in their semifinals. Joining me to do that are Kartik Krishnayar and Nipun Chopra. And Kartik, let's start with the most recent game on Wednesday, Everton's 2-1 win over visiting Manchester City. It's a good victory for Everton, an uneven performance for City, but neither team have a firm handle on the tie before the second leg at the Etihad. Yeah, quite frankly, a bit of a flattering scoreline for City, considering how one-sided this match appeared at times, although, uh, again, we've talked about this time and again this season on the pod where Everton looked the better side against just about everybody they play, and they draw matches. So this, I guess, is a good result for them, right? They're up 2-1. They take uh, that aggregate lead back to the Etihad in three weeks. Uh, Manuel Pellegrini, very unhappy with the officiating felt. Um, Everton's first goal should have been chalked off. Uh, In fairness, Everton had had two previous goals chalked off for offside, that third goal was kind of a passive offside by Lukaku. That rule has changed recently. I, I don't know if Pellegrini remembers that, but that rule has changed. Uh, if you're a purist on the offside rule, maybe you could argue it, but I think it was a, a, a perfectly legitimate goal. The second call he's very unhappy about, I agree with him on, which was Navas being taken down uh, in the area. If you watch it again, clear penalty, wasn't called. Uh, and uh, that would have uh, potentially made it 2-2. I mean, City's goal was on a, a spectacular counterattack, uh, but uh, all to play for, I guess, in the second leg. That spectacular counterattack finished off by Jesus Navas scoring, not only scoring, scoring with his left foot. I, I can't even remember the last time he scored, let alone was on that side of the pitch to score, score with his left foot. Uh, Funes Mori scoring the opener in stoppage time in the first half, Romelu Lukaku answering the Navas goal very quickly, and then uh, apparently hurting his right foot. That's going to be pretty scary for Everton fans as he's been arguably the best striker in the Premier League, and he, he's been scoring himself into player of the year conversation, although we're probably two or three more good months premature on that one. Nipun, what, was your, what were your thoughts on the game? A very uneven performance Manchester City started strong and then kind of faded into some form that is probably worrisome for City fans. Yeah, it is worrisome for City fans, but I, I don't think this is uh, this game really tells us too much about where City is because I, I think City could have won this game if if the same sort of things that we've talked about previously, aka Aguero, Silva, and Toure, had had the games that we expect them to. But I think the bigger thing to look at would be some of the things that with. Everton might be different going forward. I think it, the introduction of Bessage in the last couple of games has been terrific. I think he was probably the man of the match today. Uh, one particular moment where he carried the ball maybe 40 yards. And I honestly thought it was Barkley uh, with the way he was blowing past people. And then to realize it was Bessage there holding midfielder. So I thought Bessage was terrific. He essentially man-marked Toure out of the game. And once Cleverly went off, I thought they might struggle and that Toure would get involved. But Everton were terrific and for me deserved this win. One thing, Kartik, I want to talk to you about, you've been sharing this with your Twitter followers, is uh, David Silva. 
dipping for him. He, I think he started the year strong. There was a lot of talk about him. I remember people talking about whether he might be Spain's best player right now. But particularly after returning from injury, he hasn't looked right. Do you think this is different than the other midseason dips in form that we've seen from Silva over the past years? It's probably not. But why it's exaggerated, or at least in our minds this time, is because there's no Samir Nasri. So it was very easy for Pellegrini uh, to, in the past and Mancini when Mancini wanted to do it. Mancini tended for playing uh, an, an additional holding midfielder or playing James Milner in kind of a hybrid role instead of Nasri. Uh, Mancini wasn't a Nasri fan. He made that very clear in, in a public way. But uh, <laughs> uh, under Pellegrini the last two seasons, there have been dips from Silva. And what you've seen is Silva come out of those dips in March or April and be spectacular. His April performances each of the last two seasons have been probably, probably been the best player in the Premier League, uh, April of 2014 and April uh, and May of 2015. But Nasri has been there during those cold winter months to give that creativity in the final third for, for City. Nasri is out till March, at least. And that's why I think that there has been significant speculation, which now, by the way, has cooled since Rafa Benitez was sacked at Real Madrid. But significant speculation that Pellegrini would make a move to bring Isco, who, of course, he had at Malaga back to uh, back to playing for him and, and bring him to Manchester City. And Isco wanted out of Real Madrid pretty badly before that sacking was. Uh, you have to think he probably is reinserted into the lineup uh, in, in some fashion or Hamas is. Or, you know, there's some there's some. Uh, uh, additional changes that are made in the Madrid side with uh, Zidane as the manager. Although yeah. I have to say the ba- the balance of that team is all wrong to begin <laughs> with. So I mean, if you make it even more unbalanced, uh, I don't think the results are going to change for Madrid and or for Real Madrid, I should say. And they'll finish behind their their city rivals Atleti and, and Barca, whether one or two. Whoever the, one of those two will be one and two, and Real Madrid three in mm-hmm. in the league. Well, I should I should apologize to our listeners because. A little insight into the show. I'm the person that comes up with the topics and the run sheet and we all talk about what we're going to talk about here, but I didn't carve out any time for us to talk about Real Madrid and it's, <laughs> it would be good to spend five minutes on that. But then again, every time we put it something in the run sheet to last five minutes, it ends up going 20 minutes and that <laughs> needs at least 20 minutes. But, uh, be it Isco or Leroy Sane from Schalke, who Schalke's president came out yesterday and saying he's not going to be sold in the upcoming window. It looks like the major additions that are being linked to Manchester City are not going to arrive in January. Uh, Nipun, I'm going to shift gears here. Let's talk about Tuesday's game. Liverpool's one one nil victory over Stoke. First half goal, pretty pedestrian after that. Not a ton of chances either team created there. The Reds taking a one goal advantage out of the Britannia. How worried should Jurgen Klopp be about these injury issues? We saw Dejan Lovren go off towards the end of the first half and Felipe Mm -hmm. Cacchino go off before that. The injury list for Liverpool is becoming worrisome to the point of outright debilitating. Definitely. I think I just saw on TalkSport that they have 11 uh, squad players out currently. That That's a lot. Uh, Arsenal of course it's Wow. Yeah, it's the, mo- it's the most injuries in the Premier League right now. Of course, one of those includes Joe Flanagan, who's been out for a year and a half and probably wouldn't be starting this team. But there are a lot of first-teamers on that list, and that's definitely puzzling. And uh, so, so to answer your question, absolutely, Liverpool supporters should be worried about this. But the, what I want to post to you guys off of that is my uh, when, when Klopp took over, I think a lot of us thought that something like this would happen because mm-hmm. his 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 uh, training is very high intense intensity. Uh, he wants to play this pressing system, and when you start seeing soft muscle injuries mm. consistently with hamstring injuries, you wonder if some of these things tie into that, or is it just an accident? And I don't know the answer, and I want to know what you guys think. I 
I'm, you might have heard me say hmm there. I realize I really don't know much about Jurgen Klopp's training sessions. I really should because I don't know what the intensity of those is actually like. Um, but Kartik, maybe you're better to answer this than I am because I think there seems to be an obvious link, one that I can't uh, dismiss. And I don't have anything interesting to add to that other than if we've seen this rush of injuries during this time that Liverpool is active in three competitions and about to be active in a fourth and we can see the style of play seems to be a factor, then I'm not sure we can just say, oh, let's wait and see. We have to consider that it is an actual thing. Oh, I think it certainly is. I mean, I think, as Nipun mentions, the the number of injuries that have piled up since Klopp took over in October, the amount of running the players are having to do compared to what they did under previous manager, Brendan Rodgers, is pretty pretty staggering. And the uh, amount of pressure being put on players like Coutinho, who weren't necessarily guys who were hustle players previously, but to close down space, to Mm -hmm. make runs, uh, to, to, to be in... A, a kind of a, an attacking posture, even defensively, uh, but uh, close down the ball. Completely different than, than the way he's played under, uh, I, if I remember correctly, he was bought under Kenny Daglish and then continued under, uh, under uh, uh, Brendan Rodgers. So it's a completely different type of uh, a game he's being forced to play. And the defenders are having to play a higher line, which, um, which they did at times under Rodgers, but it wasn't uh, Rodgers' tactics changed from game to game. And the training sessions are reportedly much more intense, much more uh, running in the training sessions, mm-hmm. um, and many more physical drills. So that, that, that's, that's a whole other issue. This having been said, I think Jurgen Klopp is getting a mulligan for this season in people's minds. Yeah. I don't think anyone has any expectation over Liverpool this season. They, the anticipation is that he will clear out the squad in the summer. There are certain guys I think that he does like, that he already likes on the team that uh that will remain uh there and then there are others that will be uh uh gone that will be discarded and and at this point you'd have to think that that's uh maybe about half the squad or at least half the first team will will be gone and liverpool again will have to go into the transfer market and spend a lot of money (laughs) but this time i think uh fsg will do it more gladly than they did for brendan Rodgers because the premier league the top of the premier league has come back regress to the mean, so to speak. The league is more competitive, and the feeling is you got Jurgen Klopp as your manager. You have an opportunity to win the league in the next few years. With Brendan Rodgers, even though they made the push the one year, the thought was always, okay, if we spend a lot of money, maybe we can get into the top four. Hmm. So I, the mindset will be different this summer with Liverpool. Yeah, a lot of great points in there. The one that I think we should come back to is something that we talked about during the speculation that Klopp would be hired. And we all had a lot of opinions about which players would and would not fit in well with Klopp's system. And a lot of it just came down to the idea of who's used to running. And I think Adam Lallana, even though he's had his high points and his low points, like Felipe Cacchino, at least hints that he was part of a similar level of intensity for the attacking players under Mauricio Pochettino at Southampton. I think Coutinho has been the most willing of a lot of these players, but he's also been very, very uneven. He's He's been very uneven throughout his career, but yeah. the intensity has come and gone. He isn't constantly pressing like you would want a player in that position 
underclass system to do and he's having to learn and this is part of the extended preseason right and unfortunately now it seems like he's breaking down but even then I thought that his level of effort was better than players we've the other players we've seen somebody like Benteke or even Firmino I think Origi as you pointed out Kartik has been very good a very good example or a player that can push somebody like Christian Benteke and pick up the slack for Danny Sturridge who like Jordan Henderson Sacco Lovren Skirtle is now one of the many injured players uh, Nipun, I'll get your thoughts on this because Lawrence brought it up on this weekend's podcast. Even though yeah. Liverpool look like they have a route to the League Cup final now, they're ahead going into the home leg. They're one of the stronger teams in Europa League, though certainly not on the same level as, say, a Dortmund. I, this is really playing out as five, six months for Jurgen Klopp to really run this team into the ground, get them entrenched in the system, and see who's standing. The question is, is that the right way for him to approach the next five or six months, I would argue that it is. You would you would think that someone like Klopp, who is a football guy who who loves this game, would want some of those some of those key decisions and those key personnel to come out at the other side of this this essentially this ringer he's putting them through. Um, I mean, you can see someone like I think the biggest example and the biggest contradiction in terms of, is, is Lucas. He'd be the first player I thought would not fit Luke uh, fit fit. Klopp system because he's essentially a ball winner doesn't run that much uh, and yet he stayed injury free and and uh, except for a couple of games has done great under Klopp so hmm. those are the kind of things that I think Liverpool supporters will uh, be looking at to to understand well this player that we assumed would work under Klopp is not working aka someone like Benteke who uh, at least the the circles I follow on Twitter and my friend Gabe, who I do the ULF podcast with, have kind of written off at this point mm. as as someone that will not fit Klopp's system. And they're even thinking in terms of, well, how much money can we recoup for this guy already? <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, I think that is exactly what Klopp should be doing. The danger, of course, is what we've discussed, is that there will be some injury casualties. And unfortunately, there's just no way around that, I guess. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and close the segment by staying on that note. Which players do you think are obviously going to work from based on what we've seen now? It's it's a pretty good two-month sample yeah. at this point, but I think players like Nathaniel Klein, Emre Chan, Adam Lallana, Jordan Henderson seems like somebody who has the right combination of versatility, yes. energy, and skill. I would say that Lovren and Skirtle also, in my mind, seem like a pair that he at least can move forward with two or two of those guys and a two- or three-man swap uh, that he has in central defense. Uh, Kartik, which players do you think are going to survive these next six months for a club? I think Sacco might if he gets fit again. Uh, Lucas surprises me. I I agree with Nipun. That was the first guy I thought was was done at Liverpool. I thought he'd be gone in January, and in fact, he's played a lot. Uh, Joe Allen's not going to survive this. He he just doesn't seem to have the 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 movement and and the energy level, even though he's gotten his chances to play with Liverpool in all these competitions. Uh, I've has played pretty well when he's gotten an opportunity, but he he's still kind of an unfinished product. I think Origi sticks. I think Danny Ings, who hasn't played yet under Klopp, will be a player he likes. Benteke, I'm, I'm convinced, will be gone. Even when he's scoring goals, his uh, and this is yeah. the point I made about Origi, Origi's not scoring goals for Liverpool, right? He scored one goal, and that was that deflected goal. But his work rate and his intensity and the things that go on around him are that much better for Liverpool. Liverpool is better when he's on the pitch than when Benteke is on the pitch, even though Benteke generally gets a goal a game or close to it when he plays. So I, I think uh, Benteke's gone, uh, Origi sticks. I'm not sure about James Milner. He runs his socks off, but he can't play at that intensity for 90 minutes, uh, and he doesn't have a very natural role in this side. So 
Uh, that he, he's a question mark. And I would also say, uh, as far as uh, the fullback position, Klein, I think, certainly is a uh, is a keeper, but I'm not sure what happens at the left back position mm. going forward. And, and if he goes out and buys another left back, I'm, I'm thinking he does. And then Nipun, your thoughts, but also what do you think the future holds for two of the most talented players in Liverpool's team, Coutinho and Daniel Sturridge? Sturridge will be gone, I think, uh, and not because he wouldn't. I think Sturridge fits absolutely any system anywhere. I think that's how good of a player he is. But with Sturridge, unfortunately, he, he will not be able to play, um, you know, two, three games under any system, under any manager. And that's just un- the, the, the truth of it. You know, it reminds me a little bit of Luis Saha, bags of talent, mm, in fact, yeah. even more talented yeah. than Luis Saha, but cannot string more than five or six games uh, together. So that'll be why he'll be gone. Coutinho is a tougher one. I think people are kind of jumping on his back right now. But for me, he is their one game changer. Uh, and if he leaves, I think it'll be on his terms in the sense that he'll want to move as opposed to not fitting Klopp's system or Klopp selling him. Firmino, on the other hand, I am not sold on, and I think he will be gone. Hmm. Jurgen Klopp has obviously had a huge impact already at Anfield. That impact's only going to grow over the next six or nine months. But where does he stack up against the rest of the managers in the Premier League? We're no experts, but we're going to go ahead and provide our lists with not only Klopp, but the other 17 permanent managers in the Premier League after this break. Stay with us. This is the World Soccer Talk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the World Soccer Talk podcast, a very strange edition of the show because ever since we've been doing these midweek pods, we've always had a round of the Premier League to preview each Thursday. But this is the FA Cup's third round weekend, which means no league action. It actually gives us a time to reconcile some of the things that we've been doing over the last four months. One of the things that we really get frustrated about with ourselves is when we throw things out there on the podcast and we don't have enough time to explain them. Unfortunately, that's kind of how time works. You have a very limited amount of it, particularly in podcast form. But when we don't have a preview weekend ahead of us, we're going to take some time to maybe explain some things. The managerial turnover in the Premier League has been one of the big stories of the season, even bigger than normal since names like Jose Mourinho and Louis van Gaal have been involved. But whenever we give our analysis of a manager, we never have time to explain what we think goes into making a good manager. So that's essentially what we're going to do now. We are going to count backwards from 18, the permanent managers in the Premier League, based on a ranking that myself, Kartik, Nipun, and our absent co-host, Lawrence McKenna, did throughout this week. Along the way, we're going to explain why a manager is that low, and in the process, give you some insight as to why we think certain managers are good and other ones sometimes need to go. Let's go ahead and start at the bottom, work our way up. Uh, number 18 is Remy Gard from Aston Villa, somebody that three of us agreed should be at the bottom of this list. One person actually said we shouldn't rank him at all, mostly because he hasn't had enough time in the job. Fair enough. Number 17, Steve McLaren, another person that none of us had very high on the list. The highest rating had him at 16. Alex Neal from Norwich City at number 16 on the list. One person, Richard Farley, had him as high as 11th. And then number 15, Slavin Bilic at West Ham. Despite his good start with the Hammers, he's ranked between 11 and 17 on our four lists. Kartik, I want to go to you first. Let's talk about Steve McLaren because this is somebody that has had very big successes, particularly abroad, but somebody that recently in England, particularly last year with Derby, has struggled mightily. Why was Steve McLaren so low on your list? 
And, and I, I have to um, preface all of my remarks on, on this uh, managerial rating, say, saying that I took into account uh, manager success abroad uh, greatly in my ratings. So mm. uh, essentially, uh, my list may be unbalanced. If it were just based on, on success in England, it would be it would be different. It would yeah, be different. Actually, Carter, be a- let's give Nipun a chance to explain too, because that's one thing I skipped over here. I was going to give everybody a chance to explain what their criteria was. So Kartik, I cut you off there. Go ahead and tell people everything that you consider, then Nipun can do the same, and then, then we can get to the meat and potatoes here. Great. Yeah, I considered the success that managers have had abroad versus what they've done in England. So, for example, we aren't getting to this manager yet, but Kiki Sanchez Flores, I think, is a top manager right now in the English game. He'd be in Mm -hmm. my top five or six, but I didn't rank him that high because he struggled in Spain at a couple of different jobs. Even at uh, at Letty, when he won the Europa League, Mm -hmm. uh, they struggled in the Champions League that year. They struggled in the league. They struggled in the league the next year and sacked him. So... I considered heavily, because most of these managers have managed abroad, or a good, at least a good chunk, what they've done abroad. I also considered uh, the expectations of the teams that they were with, uh, the relationships they've had with players. Uh, for example, that was considered strongly in, in the Sam Allardyce and, and, and Mark Hughes rankings and, and Tony Pulis rankings. And also uh, how uh, they've been able to handle themselves publicly when things when there's been some degree of adversity or, or things have gone wrong have they berated officials have they been uh a negative and nasty uh, or have they have they gotten reactions out of their teams so i had a couple different metrics i ranked on uh go ahead Nipun. yeah along with a lot of things karthik said as far as media and tactics and man management those things definitely i thought about but i also uh i think i heavily weighted them based on one titular question which is would i like to see them at manchester united as a Manchester United fan, hmm. which meant, uh, which by the way, I found out was a pretty good metric of how I felt about most managers. The exceptions being Jose Mourinho, who I think is one of the best managers in the world, but I would never want him at United, uh, and someone like Sam Allardyce and Tony Pulis, who are, I think are good managers, but I wouldn't want them at United. So other than that, I think those were the big things I, I considered. And I think what, one thing I would add before going back to Kartik's thoughts on Steve McLaren a person like Arsene Wenger, who, of course, we're going to get to, ends up being very difficult in a discussion like this. Right. Because anytime you talk about Arsene Wenger, people will immediately bring up what he did in his first days at Arsenal. But what I asked everybody to do in forming these lists is consider who you would hire for mm-hmm. a club, given a predominant uh, number of scenarios that you can imagine that club in. Who would you want managing that club? And in that respect, Arsene Wenger's accomplishments, they aren't irrelevant, but what he represents today as a manager is what we're really considering. So, Kartik, I apologize for interrupting you. My fault for not getting that out of the way. But Steve McLaren, somebody that, uh, I don't know if he's controversial, but there's a lot of debate as to what he actually represents quality-wise as a manager. Yeah, he's a very good tactical manager and he's a terrible man manager. And unfortunately, this is a, this is an era when man management and being able to relate to players, we see it again with the Benitez sacking at Real Madrid, seems to be as important, if not more important than the tactics. McLaren is one of the best tactical managers probably in the Premier League currently. Uh, but it, let's look at his record outside of he won a league title at FC Twente in, 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 uh, the Dutch league, which is a second tier league. Uh, his record in the Premier League was decent at Middlesbrough, obviously got to a uh, UEFA Cup final, uh, qualified for the UEFA Cup previous year because Robbie Fowler, I have to remind everybody of this as a City fan, missed a penalty in, the, in, in stoppage time, which would have put City in the UEFA Cup instead of uh, 
instead of Middlesbrough, big moment Fowler skied the penalty. So he got in kind of through the back door and made the most of it. But since then, uh, the England job went badly. The Wolfsburg job went very badly. Uh, he, he inherited a very, very good Wolfsburg team and had them just barely outside the relegation zone when they sacked him. And then, uh, obviously, uh, his, his work at, at both Forest and at Derby uh, back in England weren't good enough. And he might have been unlucky at Derby. They really should have won that playoff final against QPR two seasons ago. If they didn't, he comes back the next season and fails miserably and, and gets sacked. And it, I, it's been a long time since a championship, a manager was sacked in the second tier and then got hired immediately by a team in the first year. But I think that can tell you the difference in, difference in ambitions between uh, Derby County right now, mm-hmm. who will be probably in the Premier League next season, and uh, Newcastle, who are the cheapest thing going. So that's how McLaren ended up at Newcastle. So I, I put him near the bottom of the list. Nipun, Slavin Bilic is ranked 15 here, a couple of spots below where you ranked him on your list. Even yep. though West Ham has been one of the not only most impressive teams this season, but one of the best prepared teams this season. So why do you think the consensus among us have him uh, really closer to the bottom of this list? Yeah, so with Bilic, I, I think he's one of those who's a who's a student of the game. There's, there's stories, um, you know, you can go back and you can Google Bilic and Locomotive Moscow and see the intensity of his preparation, how in-depth his preparation was. But in general, I think the efficacy of his results, other than his uh, stint at Croatia, have not been good enough. And that's why he finds himself uh, as low as he does. Because I do rate him as a manager. It's just um, just not enough, especially in uh, at, during his time at Lokomotiv Moscow, Besiktas, and now at West Ham. Yeah, guys, I want to hear your thoughts on this. We talked about this a little via email, or, or I did, which means we all talked about it in my mind. <laughs> but this exercise really brought it home for me how deep the manager pool in England really is. You know, we talk a lot about whether this manager is performing well, whether he fits well with his squad, whether he's meeting expectations. But when you take them out of that context and look at them just as a series of pluses and minuses, I would say 16 of the guys on this list, maybe less than that, because like Nipun, there are a couple people here where stylistic concerns means I wouldn't be thrilled to have them at my club. But there are 16 player managers on this list, Kartik, that I would say these are very good managers and most clubs should be very happy to hire them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in fact, Alex Neal was a tough one for me. I know that's the next guy on our list. Uh, I, uh, I like him a lot. I watched Norwich closely last season, and they were a disaster until they they hired him. Mm-hmm. And they went from being a disaster on a team that uh, had been relegated the previous year from the Premier League and, and would need to be broken up and might even fight relegation from the championship to being promoted and being decent in the Premier League. But I just don't have enough of a data set, uh, much like uh, Billich. That's why I didn't rank Billich very highly either. Was I don't have as much of a data set at the top flight level in a top league for for Neil and for Billich versus the other guys on our list or the other guys managing in the Premier League now to put them any higher. That having been said, I would be happy at most clubs to hire Alex Neil as a manager. I think the, the the only two guys on our list that we don't feel that way about are McLaren and uh, and Remy Gard. Yeah, I had uh, Alex Neil ranked higher than you. Lawrence or Nipun, all of him whom had him between 15th and 17th. I had him 11th. And my reasoning behind that is to me, he has succeeded to varying degrees in three very different leagues at this point. 
He was at a non-Celtic location in Scotland. He was in the championship and, as you mentioned, succeeded immediately, which is a much different mandate, much different level of intensity, and a much more level playing field than in the Premier League. And in the Premier League, I think he's succeeding so far. But I agree with you that you can take the view that the Premier League results don't matter yet because of the small sample size, which is part of the reason why we, we rank Slavin Bilic so low, and that the other two leagues don't tell us enough about him. So I think 16 feels right, even though I had him at 11. Uh, let's go to the next block, gentlemen. And it says something about the narrative about English managers that this block represents the last group of English managers we have on this entire list. At number 14, Tony Pulis. Number 13, Sam Allardyce. So great that they're right next to each other. Uh, number 12 is Alan Pardew. Number 11, Mark Hughes. And number 10, it really says something about the regard that this player, this uh, manager has carried from the lower divisions. We have Bournemouth's Eddie Howe. Hmm. Kartik, let's start with 13 and 14, Allardyce and Pulis, because you have consistently been a big al- uh, advocate of Sam Allardyce and are probably pretty disappointed to see him this low because you had him sixth on your list. Your, rea- <laughs> your reaction to seeing him at 13? Well, I, I, I know that there are people who will correct me or balance me out on that uh, as part of our World Soccer Talk team. I, I didn't remember I had him sixth on the list. I knew I had him high. But uh, yeah, I'm a big, big Sam Allardyce fan. His record at this level speaks for itself his ability even to get West Ham up uh, back up into the Premier League that year he took them over after they had been relegated and, and quite frankly had been uh, a, one of the worst teams I had seen in the Premier League although yeah. uh, Alvarum Grant got them some points that season I didn't think they'd hit 30 points and they hit 30 or 32 uh, but they were a bad team he got them back up quickly he did the job at Blackburn he had Blackburn in the top half of the table they sack him and they get relegated the next season Bolton has never been the same since he left. He was the first manager to really bring in a lot of good cosmopolitan footballers uh, to a provincial club, which wasn't mm-hmm. Middlesbrough or, or Newcastle, and, and succeed with them at Bolton. So I rank him highly. The other guy you mentioned, uh, Pulis, I've defended him in the past on this show, but uh, the situation at Crystal Palace uh, really disappointed me in him because he had a good team. He had a team that would play a different style of football, uh, yet he demanded more money and walked out the door uh, and maybe he wanted more money so he could buy his type of players and replace the, the, the footballers like Punchin and Belasi who are so exciting uh, and so easy on the eye with his types. And West Brom to me, the absolute uh, worst team to watch in the premier league this season. It, it's, it's really regressive football and it used to not matter as much Richard, because we had a lot of teams that played that way. And Pulis had a, had a bad rap I felt because there were so many teams that played similarly in English football. But now, even if you look at the championship, there were very few clubs that play the kind of negative football West Brom is playing this season. So in the top two divisions of English football, they might be the most negative side, including underfunded sides like Rotherham United. So um, I, I had to rank them very low. The, and the only reason that Pulis is this high is because Lawrence has him ranked 10th. I, I say that I don't want to dismiss Lawrence's ranking because it is a very valid ranking based on the results that Tony Pulis has gotten. He can rightfully and, say he's never had a team relegated in Napoon. Yeah, and, and let's not let's not forget that if you if you had a team that had very little money, there's probably no manager in the if world. If I had very little money, I would not hire Tony Pulis. Well, if you want your team to stay up, he, you would hire Tony he Pulis. Buy, he buys like crazy. He spends like crazy. He did it at Stoke. He did it at Palace. And he's, he went out and got uh, Rondon this year, who I think is a good signing. But the Tony Pulis team that survives off of what it's given doesn't mm-hmm. exist. 
see from my perspective maybe maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong but from my perspective he does tend he tends to buy a striker and then uh, spend a lot of money on a striker and around that he tends to essentially get bargain buys from all over the place and builds a team if if we look at how much he spent maybe maybe I should do that but if we look at how much he spent I don't think it'll compare to anyone else no one like like compare I think a good comparison would be Sam Allardyce I think Sam Allardyce spends a lot more money than Tony Pulis and they essentially play the same football uh, and get very similar results. Rondon is a classic Pulis buy, though, isn't he, Richard? I mean, you would agree with that, that he's that's the kind of player that uh, yeah. wh- whatever club Pulis goes to, he has to buy that player. Yeah. So once he bought that player, I, I thought, okay, well, that's at least good because they're going to sell Berahino to Spurs and let-, let him advance in his career. Instead, they've sat him on the bench. They frustrated him. He's not going to get back into the England team. And, you know, he could be playing for a title contender right now in, in Spurs. And that's the same pattern that he had at Stoke where he not only bought Cameron Jerome, but he bought Kenwin Jones and Peter Crouch and just kept buying and buying. And I, I can't remember the stat that Gab Marconi kept citing when he left Stoke, but he had the biggest net spend negative of any, was it any team in the league or any team outside the top four? I can't remember what it was, but Stoke basically had yeah. to let him, had to let him go because he was spending too much to maintain what but had But Napoon is right. Life. It's generally on strikers. That's it, it, a very and it's, good point. And it's generally all players that are between about 7 and 12 million pounds, too. There aren't any big, ridiculous buys. The problem with him is that he just can't, keeps on buying and buying and buying. And as you mentioned, Kartik, that is essentially the reason why he left Crystal Palace, because they wouldn't give him control of the purse strings there. Kartik, I want to get you to talk about Mark Hughes. Uh, Hughes is somebody that is being debated a lot in England right now. And even amongst us, the range on his votes are is very wide. Nipun ranks him highest amongst the four of us as the eighth best manager in England. I rank him the lowest at 14th. You're right in the middle at 10. Why do you think there is such a division of opinion about Mark Hughes? Well, I think I will first off say part of my opinion on Mark Hughes is clouded by his relationship with Kia Jurabchin. I don't want to get too deep into that today, but uh, you know, we're well, seeing it's relevant now. though because well, it, it follows him wherever he goes. Right, and that's how he gets players. That's that's how he's gotten. You you wonder why Hughes keeps getting these cosmopolitan, <laughs> continental. How he could get a guy like. Uh, uh, um, why am I blanking out his name from Real Madrid, who signed with uh, QPR, and how he got Julio Cesar and, and these players. Oh, are you talking about QPR. Esteban Granero? Granero, yeah. And and how he's getting guys like Boyan and and, and uh, uh, Shakiri to, to Stoke is that he has this relationship with, with Kia Jurabshin, which is the reason Tevez went to Manchester United, uh, Manchester City from Manchester United to begin with, and uh, the links then to Nena Manua and, and Nigel de Jong and, and all these players, Sean Wright Phillips, uh, came back and it's an issue now we're talking about in the states because of uh, or in the states and Canada North America because Ryan Nelson who of course was a huge player at Blackburn and then he brought him to QPR uh, is now a player agent with ties to several players in North America and he managed in, in, in uh, Major League Soccer and he's now tied to Kia Jurabshin so it's a relevant issue for me uh, uh, for and, it, and as you said it should be a relevant issue in general the um, the debate on Hughes I think is his results never seemed to be good enough. They weren't good enough uh, at, at, other than at Blackburn, where it was very good. But he, he overspent at um, Manchester City, didn't get the results he needed there, completely overspent at QPR. That was off the chart spending uh, for a club of that size. Also seemed didn't to get give the, up there, too. Yeah, and, and didn't get the results. And um, Harry Redknapp uh, had to come in and, and you know spend even more money 
uh, to to bring in guys like uh, Luke Remy and those kinds of players he wanted and, and, and did, didn't work. Uh, and then uh, at Stoke, he has uh, or in Fulham, he, he gave up even though the first year went well. Fancied himself as a bigger club manager, uh, and then didn't uh, at Stoke. It hasn't. The results have been. Not, haven't really been better than the results under Pulis, have they? I mean, the football's been better. Everybody, but everybody is going gaga over the football with with Sparky at, at Stoke. And again, I, as I said, he gets these players because he has links to a a very kind of uh, shady individual that brokers these sorts of deals. Um, but the results haven't been any better, so that's why I think there's a lot of debate. The feeling is, you know what, QPR probably should have kept Neil Warnock as their manager. You know what, uh, 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 Stoke would probably be in the same place with any other manager. So that's why there's a lot of uh, uh, doubt about Sparky. Let's move on to number 10 on the list. Kartik has talked a lot during the season of podcasts about his admiration for Eddie Howe, number 10 on the list. Nipun, that's exactly where you and I rank Eddie Howe. But in a lot of ways, his resume is very similar to Alex Neal's. He's a young manager who has had success at other levels, but is having his first taste of the Premier League this season. So why is Alex Neal ranked 16th on this list and you and I have him lower than Eddie Howe? And why is Eddie Howe ranked right in the middle of this pack? Probably because we are all a little, little carried away by the romance that is AFC Bournemouth right now. I, th- I think that ties into why we believe in Eddie Howe more than we believe in Alex Neal. It ties into why we keep, um, whenever I do relegation stuff, I keep Bournemouth out of my relegation list. So th- I think that's the reason, that's one of the reasons. And then we also have to give him credit. Like he has, as, as a very, very young man, much like Alex Neal, has been able to take on uh, a team and bring them up to the Premier League and have some great results in spite of having a team that is ravaged by injuries. So I think those are the reasons why we rate Eddie Howe because we see a manager who's able to modulate a team in in the way that he wants to and play a a good, attractive style of football while he does that. The one manager we haven't really analyzed out of this group, Alan Pardew, should just be mentioned that Kartik has Alan Pardew much closer to Crystal Palace's league position. He has them eighth. It's Nipun, myself, and Lawrence that's dragging Pardew down to 12th. But he does then fit in with the rest of the British managers. Uh, all, actually, all English man, No, British managers. Sorry about that. Uh, but none of those managers are in the top 10. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the... The bottom half of that top 10, there is kind of a a divide in our ranking between four and five. So places nine through five go to Ronald Koeman at Southampton, ranked number nine. His highest ranking was number six by Lawrence. Number eight is Roberto Martinez, somebody that had one of the widest ranges of results on our list. I had him the highest at six. Kartik had him at 14. Kartik wrote a very good piece on the site about why he's doubting Roberto Martinez's performance at Everton. Number seven is Kike Sanchez Flores. Number six, Claudio Ranieri. And number five, just missing out on the elite layer as these results go is Spurs Mauricio Pochettino. Let's work our way back up to Pochettino. Let's start with Roberto Martinez and Ronald Koeman. Uh, both, when we're at this point of the list, Napoon, we're talking about very good coaches. We're talking yes. about very good coaches before this point. And both Koeman and Martinez have a stylistic element to the way they go about things and that they mm-hmm. do want their football played a certain way. Mm-hmm. You ranked Martinez at seven. You ranked Koeman at 11. Why the difference between the two? Well, first of all, I love Roberto Martinez. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. But uh, I, like you said, this is a 
block of managers that we're getting into that have multiple teams that they've managed. I mean, you look at Koyman, who's managed, uh, who's an assistant at Barcelona at the turn of the century, uh, Ajax, Benfica, PSV, Valencia, Feyenoord, Southampton. I mean, that, that's a good list, a solid list. And at every place he's been, he's been able to introduce a style of football, a belief in football, and and fairly good results. I mean, he's had some struggles, but in general, and I, I love the style of Ronald Koeman football, the players he manages, and the way he conducts himself, I think, is admirable. Uh, will criticize his players when they need to be criticized. Will put an arm around them uh, in almost in a to use a cliche in managerial terms, it comes back to almost a Sir Alex type of way. So I appreciate him for those reasons. Kartik, you and I have Roberto Martinez and Ronald Koeman right next to each other on our list, although in very different spots in our 18. I have Martinez 6, Koeman 7. You have Koeman 13 and Martinez 14. What was your reasoning for ranking those two so low? Well, Koeman has had some uh, notable his clubs abroad, but he's had some notable failures mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in that, in his career, particularly managing in Spain, uh, yeah. the Dutch Valencia. league again. Yep. Yeah. The Dutch Valencia, especially right. Yeah, The, the I, Dutch uh, league's a commonality here. Some of these managers having success in the Dutch league and us, uh, or at least maybe the regard for them in the English press, just like everything Dutch is a little bit exaggerated in English press. <laughs> um, maybe they're getting too much credit for that success. Yeah. So that, that's my, uh, my, Reasoning for putting McLaren solo, Koyman solo, uh, uh, Koeman solo. Uh, my, my thought about um, Louis van Gaal, uh, which we'll get to later, is based on Barcelona and Bayern, not based on what he did in, in, in the Dutch league. Mm. It would be the same thing if Advocat was still managing. I'd look at his Zenit success. Uh, more than his success at PSV. Uh, same thing with Heating. Uh, I'd look at what he's done elsewhere. So uh, the Dutch league is a league that I think. Um, we, 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 we may put a little too much stock in, not us uh, specifically, but the English press. So, uh, Koyman, I, I still want to see a little more. I saw how they, they, they tailed off at the end of last season, Southampton, although he was very good in the transfer market in acquiring the players yeah, he did. Amazing. Uh, yeah, amazing work. Uh, the, the feeling was, remember entering last season with Pochettino leaving a manager that was very highly regarded and who we all think very highly of. Uh, on this show and uh, the players that had left uh, once Puccino left that Southampton would get relegated. They didn't. However, this season, I think they might get relegated. I think there's a very good, there's a, a strong chance to get relegated. if Newcastle gets going because there are only so many teams that could get relegated in my mind right now. And Bournemouth and Norwich, even though they've just come up to me right now, don't look like teams that would get relegated. It, Southampton looks like that fourth team. In, in, if we're having that conversation. So I ranked him well. Now, as far as Martinez is concerned, I'll just reference, uh, read the World Soccer Talk article. I have uh, uh, critiques of his of his results. I, I could go back and critique his results at Swansea versus what Paulo Sousa and Brendan Rodgers did, although Martinez does deserve credit for starting that, that, that run. I could certainly critique the fact that Swansea became much better than Wigan in the period when Roberto Martinez was managing Wigan, and all of a sudden Swan- Rodgers had gotten Swansea to a level that Martinez, who left Swansea to manage Wigan, who were two divisions above them at the time, could not get Wigan to. A- and then uh, also just the-, the results for Everton versus the results when Moyes was the manager. The one pushback I've gotten on this, and I have to think about this a little more, was that the Premier League now is more competitive. So even though you, you could say Moyes always finished fifth or sixth in the league, Maybe by default, the top four were the top four. And then there were two or three good teams after that. And Mm -hmm. Everton was always one of those two or three good teams. Now there are 15 good teams. 
quite frankly, I didn't I didn't evaluate that. I didn't think about that very carefully. I just thought, well, look, uh, Moyes always had them close, had them uh, potentially qualifying for Europe. Martinez did not last season. He's not going to this season at this rate. So um, I'll, I, I, I guess my uh, my thoughts on Martinez are pretty fluid then. <laughs> Number nine was Koyman. Number eight, Martinez. Six and seven gets to two managers who have something in common. Well, multiple things in common. Kike Sanchez-Flores, seven. Claudio Ranieri, six. Both of these are managers that are either in their first year in England or in their first year back in England. They're with teams that were expected to battle relegation. Neither team is close to relegation. Watford and Leicester securely in the Premier League, probably for next season too. Definitely the case with Leicester. But probably the commonality that leads to some dissension in these rankings is their recent performances before coming to England. Kike Sanchez-Flores had a brief spell at Hatafe that lasted only six weeks before leaving. That was his second spell there. Before that, he was in the Middle East, and before that, he had results at big clubs that Kartik alluded to before. And then Claudio Ranieri famously led Greece to the bottom of their qualified group before being dismissed during the middle of the Euro 2016 qualifying cycle. Nipun, I want to ask you this because you have both Ranieri and Flores ranked higher than we had the overall ranking. You had them ranked five for Ranieri, six for Flores. They're six and seven on the overall list. What weight did you give the pre-Lester and Watford performances when ranking Ranieri and Flores? So with Ranieri, I admit my my focus was it was a f- fairly English focus. So in sense, I essentially looked at his Chelsea times Chelsea and now at Leicester City, uh, and I think a lot of people forget that when when Mourinho took over, it was essentially all most of the players that that Ranieri had bought that won him the title. So I, I think a lot of people forget that because he's always just remembered as the tinker man and he, you know, he bought Veron and he flopped and all that stuff. But, but in, but reality, shouldn't that be yeah. an argument against Ranieri that somebody else came in, used the same players and did so much no, better? No, it's an argument against a crazy Russian owner is what it's an argument against. But because if the players I, I, were the same, how is that against an uh, argument against Abramovich? Well, because at that time also you had a couple of other powerhouses. If you look at the, in, if you look at the increase of Chelsea's success, I think it, it's not a coincidence that at the same time Manchester United was just starting to rebuild. If you remember, that was the. It's just around mm-hmm. then when Ronaldo was uh, considered to be a flop because he did too many yeah. dribbles. Uh, Rain Rooney had gone through a metatarsal injury and all those things. So I, yeah, I think when they went out into the market and did the the Nani Anderson summer, basically. Well, the Nani Anderson summer came later. That was two thousand seven. When when Ranieri took over, uh, it was it was I think. Oh, sorry, when Mourinho took over, it was two thousand four, two thousand five. Okay. So when when Nani and uh, Hargreaves and Anderson were bought, it was on the back yeah. of a, a Premier League winning season with uh, with uh, Luis Saha and Ronaldo and uh, Rooney. Sorry, I got distracted. Uh, I got sidetracked. That my bad. But mm-hmm. in general, I think we Ranieri doesn't get enough credit for what he did with that Chelsea team and and the players that he bought. Um, and and so so I guess for me that that's one of the big reasons I rated Ranieri as highly as I did. And of course. We have to look at what Leicester City has done this season. Well, let me jump in real quickly on Ranieri. One of the things that people forget, and I have to consistently point out, and this is maybe my own very subjective view, uh, some of the narrative that was created about Ranieri uh, because of the Greece job, I think never happens if Falcao doesn't get hurt for Monaco. Right. Monaco was running PSG close that season when Falcao got injured. Once he got injured, Monaco fell off. Uh, uh, Ranieri got the sack. The team got broken up. Uh, the rest is history, right? And PSG now owns that league and can win that league by 25 points every season. I think Rainieri had Monaco in a position 
where they could challenge PSG and would have kept them close that season had Falcao not gotten injured. So then he got sacked. He takes the Greece job. It goes horribly wrong. So now there's this completely different narrative about Ranieri than I think there would have been previously. Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. It's something to consider. Uh, Let's move on to the last of this group that we're talking about, Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, this is somebody that, considering where we are on this list, and considering the regard that Pochettino has in the public at this point, there was a reasonably big divide within our group. Two of us, myself and Lawrence, had him ranked at number four, one spot above where he's settled in right now. Kartik and Napoon, you have him at seven and nine, respectively. Kartik, um, why so... I guess down is the wrong word because you're saying he's the seventh best manager in one of the top three leagues in the world. But why so down compared to not only myself and Lawrence, but what the general narrative is about Pochettino? That's a that's a perfectly good question for me because until I actually had to do rankings, I probably if you'd ask me, well, who do you think the best managers in England are? I'd probably say Wenger and Pochettino. So mm. um, it's funny. I think because you had put the metric in place and I had to start thinking about experience and, you know, how it went wrong eventually for him at Espanol, uh, even though they had done well uh, initially and, and he, on the back of him being a former player for them. Uh, I, I then I think I knocked him down a few spots, but I don't really have any critiques of Pochettino. I think it's, again, the data sample uh, being small. Uh, if the season plays out as it's playing out, he's going to be much higher. And there's just something uh, poetic about a Spurs, something associated with Spurs finishing fifth. So I guess we wanted to make sure that that was possible. <laughs> Maybe you're foreshadowing Arsene Wenger being number four on our list, but let's wait for that part of the list. Uh, why I broke off the top four. The last people that we're going to mention here are all people that ranked number one or number two on one of our lists. So that means Jurgen Klopp, Manuel Pellegrini, Louis van Hall, Arsene Wenger, they're amongst the top two managers, at least one of our minds. But before we get to that, I want to go over some coaches that are not in England, not part of the 18-person permanent manager group that we're ranking here. I want to get into some hypotheticals here, gentlemen, because as much fun as it is to talk about managers in England, it's almost more fun to talk about the people that aren't there. I want to throw some and names. might soon be there. Or just left, right? <laughs> right. Um, I want to Hello. throw out some names at you guys and get you to tell me where you would rank them on your list. And I guess we have to try to avoid spoilers with the top four. We still want to do the reveal there. But let's go ahead and just go in alphabetical order here. We have a list of six. And Carlo Ancelotti. Let's start with you, Nipun, since you're the Manchester United fan and the person that I wanted to have uh, Ancelotti be your club's manager. Where would you rank Ancelotti on this list? He would be, uh, on this list, he would be number one. Number one. Kartik, do you agree with that? He would be number two on this list. Very interesting. It'll be interesting to see who your number one is then. Um, let's go to somebody that probably won't rank as high. Kartik, we'll start with you. Uh, the recently deposed Rafa Benitez. Ooh. Um, <laughs> we're basing this on success in England, and he had plenty of it. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, we're basing it on basic, on where... Well, no, no, no. Actually, we're not, because I haven't based it on success in England. I've looked at at the uh, metro... Uh, I've looked at yeah. how they've done abroad, and it's based uh, Benitez on, if failed Benitez, at Inter, yeah, failed but, at Madrid... Exactly. If Benitez was um, being hired, if you were hiring Benitez for a club, how would you evaluate him compared to the rest of the people on this list? Well, for a club in England, I'd probably evaluate mm -hmm. him pretty highly because he Liverpool uh, punched at or above their weight his entire tenure until his final season when there were all these ownership issues going on. And uh, and then Chelsea, I think he did quite well with, honestly. I mean, he inherited a mess and he uh, 
got them to a couple cup semifinals, got them uh, won the Europa League, which uh, was pretty good for them. So uh, I, I I guess I would consider him, but I, I would put him lower on this list, maybe uh, uh, fifth or sixth based on his failures at Inter and Real Madrid. It seems like if he manages a high profile club outside of England, he can't do the job. But we are talking about the Premier League and I guess he can do the job in England. Yeah, that's about where I'd rank him too. Nipun? Tactically, he'd be one of the five best managers in the world. Man management-wise, he'd be one of the top 50 managers in the world. Uh, and uh, as far as press conferences go, he'd be one of the best 6,000 managers in the world. <laughs> so I guess on this list, he'd be maybe number 10 or something. Kartik, I want to ask you about Laurent Blanc. This is somebody, over the last four oh. or five years, you and I have made very clear what we think about him. Where would he rank on your list? Sixth, and I'm... Uh... I, I'm it's not pretty sure generous. To, yeah. Well, well, no, no. Sorry. Six. I was thinking six out of six on this uh, <laughs> six guy. Okay. Uh, overall, I would put him somewhere in the. Uh, well, we had a we had a, a Allardyce Pulis. He, he's down there. He's like a Pulis, basically. He's 14th or 15th. Hmm. Nipun, another person that's been linked with Manchester United, Jose Mourinho. So again, if 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 the question is, do I want Mourinho at United? Absolutely not. He would be bottom of this list, probably lower than Remigard. But uh, if I'm being objective <laughs> and trying to judge whether... Yeah, let's try Jose... to do that, the whole objective yeah. thing. Yeah. Then I would say he's probably sixth on this list. Hmm. Kartik, you are very anti-Jose Mourinho. You've written some good stuff on the site about why Manchester United in particular should not pursue Mourinho. I want to hear where he would rank on your list. Okay, so he's won, he's won titles uh, everywhere he's been. Uh, he did very well, although he's inherited teams everywhere he's been. Chelsea, the team was uh, built by uh, by uh, Ranieri. He inherited that team, but did better with them. And obviously, it came at a time when Arsenal, uh, the Invincibles, were, were graduating to what Arsenal has been the last 10 years. And Manchester United was in a dip. Uh, the second stint at Chelsea, he won a title. He also threw away a title the previous year. And then this season had the team on course to be in a relegation battle. And I think they probably would have been in the relegation battle had he not been sacked. So... I would put him and uh, Real Madrid. He had some success. He had more success, admittedly, at Real Madrid than uh, Bern Schuster did, than uh, than uh, Manuel Pellegrini did. Although I, I I would rank Pellegrini as a better manager than him, so I would put him like eighth on this list. Hmm. I would put him number one on this list, maybe as low as three. But even with the this bad spell, uh, if you subscribe to the way Kartik described the last two and a half years at Chelsea, which is accurate, I think some. Chelsea fans in particular would paint it with a little bit more rose-colored glasses. It's a, it's still a pretty successful run he had at Chelsea. And if that's the low point of Mourinho, um, it's, it's difficult to rank him that high because you know the baggage that he carries, but there has to be some respect for his accomplishments. Uh, let's move on to somebody, Kartik, that's linked very closely with your club, your future manager, Pep Guardiola. Sure. Well, it's a tough one. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the few that is in this, this camp of wanting Pellegrini to keep the job and, and feeling Pellegrini should be the manager next season. And, uh, I, I don't have the confidence that Guardiola is an upgrade. I, I think he did very well with Barcelona, but that's his boyhood club. He's Catalan. That, that, that's, that's his club. There was a, there was a gut feeling that he was the right guy to restore kind of the Cruyff, uh, feeling around that, that club. And he did that. I don't think he's necessarily been terribly successful at Bayern. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see the contrast between him uh, and uh, and Ancelotti. They're two completely different kinds mm. of managers. Yeah. If Ancelotti's results are not better than Pep's, then maybe my view of Pep is somewhat revised. But I think 
Ancelotti is going to win the Champions League one of the years he, he's at Bayern. I think he might uh, uh, he, he, he might win it multiple times, quite frankly, because he's, he's that kind of manager. I think he, he, he'll leave well enough alone. He'll work better with the board there. He won't have as many outbursts in the press. So um, where would I rank Pep in the Premier League? I guess... Wow, I guess second or third, though, <laughs> mm. still. I mean, he's still got to be at that at that level. Nipun? Yeah, he's the best manager in the world for me. So he would be number one uh, above Arsene Wenger and pretty much anyone else. Now, the last manager I'm going to mention here before we get what back to you? our you, top four. What about you? Didn't, you didn't tell us your Guardiola pick. Yeah, Guardiola, Guardiola would be number one for me also. Okay. Um, it'd be very tight between him and the person that I do have number one, though. Uh, somebody that I think is very interesting is somebody that has a lot of parallels with Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. People that we associate as having strong attachments to one club. And at some point, we'll have to move on from. Klopp has moved on. Guardiola is about to be two clubs removed from that. Diego Simeone with Atletico Madrid, where he was a classic and talismanic player, has become a classic and talismanic coach. I'll go ahead and go first on this one. I kind of put him in the same group as Guardiola. Uh, or, yeah, Guard- same group as Guardiola is that I would strongly consider them for number one. I would have to break down everything. The fact that he is one of two people to win La Liga since Pep Guardiola took over uh, Barcelona, win La Liga from Barcelona, the other being right. Jose, Jose Mourinho. The fact that he got Atletico Madrid to a Champions League final and literally within seconds of winning the Champions League, I might actually put him number one. I, I would strongly consider putting him number one. The only caveat is part of the reason I put the people, the person number one that I did was success at multiple stops. And that kind of hints at who is number one on my list. Simeone doesn't have that. And that's the one caveat. Mm-hmm. Nipun, let's go to you and then Kartik on Simeone. Simeone is, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. He's he's one of the new group of managers that's going to be highly rated. He's going to have the pick of wherever he wants to go whenever he does leave Atleti. Uh, he's number three on the list for me. Mm-hmm. Kartik? I think he's the best manager in the world right now in club football. Mm-hmm. I've said that to, to many people. So I, I put him number one. And I think if Chelsea is in fact going to hire him, uh, these Chelsea supporters who have uh, backed Mourinho, they, 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 they're they going to a year from now be thinking, why why did we behave that way? We've got the best <laughs> manager in the world. Now, Simeone, what he's done at the Bloody, and, and we do need to give some credit to Kiki Sanchez-Flores for building the kind of culture there, the uh, defensive organization, that kind of uh, shape that that uh, Simeone inherited when uh, Sanchez Flores was sacked and, and he took over. But uh, they are uh, such a strong defensive side, yet can play with some flair. They can keep the ball in a lot of games in La Liga. They have been very good in the Champions League. They were unlucky last season to lose to Real Madrid over two legs. Uh, they should have beaten them in the final two seasons ago. They won the league. They might win the league again this season. Uh, their, their accomplishments, and he's a younger manager. So for me, he's the best manager in the world. Now, um, unlike th- – this is an interesting contrast here with Simeone since we're talking about the Premier League. I have to bring this uh, up. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino was a guy that fouled uh, Michael Owen uh, or allegedly fouled Michael Owen to get a penalty for England. England beat Argentina in the 2002 World Cup. So Pochettino fondly remembered in England for committing that foul. Simeone's the guy who got David Beckham sent off in 1998. Yeah, so I think the response to Simeone will be different than the response to Pochettino. Yeah. Both Argentines, both great managers, but Pochettino, yeah. there's something a little more endearing it, to the Englishman about him. It took That's England years to forgive Cristiano Ronaldo, and he had to become the best player in the world for them to do that, too. Yeah. They still haven't forgiven Simeone, I'll mm. be honest about that. I, don't I think, still hear about him a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure that they, that they would unless he manages England to a World Cup. 
Gentlemen, our top four, how we're going to do this is I'm going to go to the person who ranked the manager the highest as we descend from four to one and ask them to give the defense of their ranking. So the four people we haven't ranked yet are Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, Manuel Pellegrini at Manchester City, Louis van Gaal, Manchester United, and Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. Louis van Gaal ends up coming number four. He was ranked as low as five by myself and Lawrence and as high as number two by Kartik. Kartik, why Louis van Gaal so high? Because he's a very, very good tactical manager. I think he's a decent man manager too, although we're seeing some issues at United now. He seems to have gotten some sort of rallying effect from them. Uh, he, he did the job. Uh, at Bayern, cleaning up the mess that was, and I hate to bring this up for, for U.S. listeners, the mess that was created by Jurgen Klinsmann there, uh, corrected that, brought in Aryan Robin, got them to a Champions League final, Champions League final where they dominated Inter, by the way, or Jose Mourinho's Inter, but lost. Uh, and uh, things went bad the next season, but he foresaw the kind of player uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger could be, uh, playing in the middle of the pitch, converted him. Uh, he's, he's, I think, just an outstanding manager, Manchester United is in a bad place, so maybe he's the wrong fit there. But if we're talking about just ranking these managers objectively and and, and where they should be based on their body of work, I, I have, have to put him that high. Mm. The next man on the list is Jurgen Klopp. My three co-hosts had him at number three, which is where he's ranked. I'm the one person that has a different ranking. I had him ranked at number two. Uh, and this is going to be a v- big similarity with the person I have number one. The continuity that a manager's attitude brings to a club, to me, can be as important as his playing style, as important as his results, as important as any other aspect that he brings to the club. I think it is very important, or at least it's it's helpful, that players feel like the club is a place that they want to actually be at. And while you can argue that Jose Mourinho has shown that that's not necessarily the case, I think by and large, managers that make for good atmospheres if you combine that with good tactics and just a good philosophy, you're going to get good results. And so that's why I had Jurgen Klopp number two. He is somebody that I would want to coach not only my club, but my son or my daughter or anybody that I knew. And the only thing that separates him from being number one is just when I compare the record side by side with the person I put number one, I don't find it as impressive, particularly in England. So that's why I have Jurgen Klopp number three. As for number two on the list, this is the person that I ranked number one. So you guys get to hear me talk again. I have Manuel Pellegrini. I have made no secret as to how much I admire Manuel Pellegrini as a person that has not only accomplished a lot at Villarreal, where he took them to second place in La Liga and to a Champions League semifinal, where he accomplished a lot at Real Madrid, where in the one year he was given, he set a then points record for for Real Madrid, where he accomplished a lot at Malaga, where he was some unfortunate calls away from knocking off Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund and taking that team to a Champions League semifinals, and where he's accomplished a lot at Manchester City, where he has delivered multiple Premier League titles. Manuel Pellegrini is far from faultless, and nobody on this list is perfect. But when I combine the steadiness he brings to the job, the positive approach that he has, and the respect that he commands as a person, this is the one person out of the 18 men on this list that I would absolutely want managing my club. Now, that means that number one on this list is somebody that both Nipun and Kartik put at the top of their list. So Nipun will go to you first. Why did Arsene Wenger get the top spot on your 18? Well, he revolutionized, and this is a cliche, uh, English Premier League football. Uh, he brought in some of the players that we now consider to be legends, Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Bergkamp, uh, etc. Uh, Perez, and this is another one. <clears throat> and he 
essentially broke up the hegemony or I guess uh, the dictatorship that was uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United at that time. They'd won the 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 treble around the time that uh, Wenger took over the season before Wenger took over, and within two years he was their their major target, a major competition for the Premier League, and then the Invincibles happened. He did have he does still get a lot of criticism, but let's not forget he's been at that club for almost two decades. Uh, and is still, still managing to managing to reinvent himself. Most lately, with the tactical shift of bringing in uh, the the number of forwards has, that he has, and uh, playing with one holding and one box to box midfielder, something that kind of went away from the Premier League for a while, and he brought it back. So for me, he's the best manager in the league. Kartik Nipu mentioned a lot of the qualities that undisputably highlight. Wenger's past, specifically when he arrived in England and at the time, for a brief period of time before adjustments were made, was probably the best manager in the Premier League. But why is Arsene Wenger number one on your list for his qualities now? Well, I have to admit that this was a bit of a sentimental pick on, on my part, because uh, if you look at the other managers that I considered to put at the top, I, put, I considered five guys. I considered Ranieri, I considered Pellegrini, I considered Von Hall, I considered Klopp, I considered uh, Wenger. My pick was kind of sentimental about England because I've, I've talked about what they've done in other leagues and what they've done in other big leagues. But then when it came down to it, to the brass tacks of it, if you want to use that expression, it was what have they done in England and how have they revolutionized English football? A lot of the stuff that Nipun talked about. And are they great defenders of English football that are kind of tied to this league? The other names on that list are guys who've just recently come to England or have been uh, in England previously, in Ranieri's case, and, and come back and have been kind of vagabond managers that have moved around. In Wenger's case, he's still the great advocate uh, as recently as uh, two weeks ago, talking about the need for more English managers. He's still he's still the guy who I think understands and 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 sees the league and and, and appreciates the league for what it is. Um, as far as his ability now, uh, yes, that can be questioned. I, I think for for a long period of time, Arsenal was under substantial handicaps financially when compared to Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, even at times Liverpool. Uh, more recently. He could be faulted for being excessively ideological in his playing style and excessively stylish. Now he's got a, a situation where he's buying more and more English players or more and more players from within England, uh, British players. And if you include Aaron Ramsey in that, so we'll go from English to British uh, because he thinks he, he's been um, he, he's been. Uh, betrayed for lack of a better term. That's a bad term because Mourinho likes to use that term, but they, you know, he's had players, continental players that had not seen Arsenal as a destination club. And they've gone to Barcelona or they've gone to Manchester city or Manchester United, uh, Van Persie and Nasri players like that. Um, so he, he, he's now kind of come back to having an English core or a British core in a team with some very good continental players uh, like Metsad Ozil around them and San Santi Cathola. Uh, it it's just he's now become once again very pragmatic and has his team in a position to potentially win the Premier League. So with all of that in mind, I have to put him number one. Does that mean I would hire him over Pellegrini or uh, – or, or, or Klopp, if I were the manager of some uh, the uh, the chairman of some random team in England, uh, I can't say that for sure. It depends on the team. I might hire Pellegrini over him. I might hand, uh, hire Klopp over him. But I, I just felt he should be number one on this list. I don't think we've ever done a show in my 
four broken up over two stints years hosting the show that has told the listeners as much about how we look at the game, guys. Kartik, in your response there, you showed this great reverence for the history of the league, but the ability to synthesize that with what's actually going on the field now. Napoon, your reliance on these objective standards as a way to form your opinions just reflects the scientists in you. And for me, the sentimental value, the integrity that Manuel Pellegrini uh, brings and how I defended him, I think it says a lot about how I look at things, much like my Ryan Giggs rant a couple weeks ago. Uh, For people who are interested, let me list Lauren top five managers to you he like myself lists Manuel Pellegrini number one the big <laughs> this is the big difference why Manuel Pellegrini ends up being ranked below Arsene Wenger the city fan on the list actually had Manuel Pellegrini <laughs> ranked number five but as he explained there's some pretty good reasoning for that and Kartik's top five sound like it's a pretty tight group number two on Lawrence's list is Arsene Wenger number three Jurgen Klopp four is Mauricio Pochettino and then five is Louis Van Hall. Sunday, we will be back with a small review of this weekend's FA Cup action, but instead of devoting a whole show to the third round results, we'll have another show like today's. Part review, part bringing up an issue that gives you some insight into why we've said what we've said over the previous four months of shows. But until then, for the entire World Soccer Talk family, for Ninpun Chopra, I'm Richard Farley. Kartik? Enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737, Lawrence is L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, Lawscast, and Nipun is Nipun Chopra 7. Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email, richard at worldsoccertalk.com.